Hello and welcome back to Talking Sense, the podcast. In the first episode, we discussed the aims and goals of this project, which is held in conjunction with the Ashmolean Museum, looking at the role of the senses in art in a permanent collection. In the second episode, Christy and I walked you through a workshop day, discussing the role of the senses in history, literature and culture. In the following few episodes, we will be presenting the podcast recordings of the Gallery Talks, the culmination of our year of research. In this episode, we'll be hearing from Dr. Carrie Ryan, who works in the Department of Anthropology. Her talk partner was Alexis Gorby, a DPhil candidate in the Department of Archaeology. The title of their paired gallery talk was Making Sense of Death. Death is universal, but how cultures across time and space understand and experience death is not. Carrie and Alexis explore how ancient and contemporary cultures use the senses to make sense of death. Now you'll be hearing from Dr. Carrie Ryan, Hello, my name is Carrie Ryan, and I recently received my doctorate from the Institute of Social and Cultural Anthropology here at Oxford, where I studied contemporary approaches to death in neoliberal Los Angeles. Today, I will use insights gleaned from my dissertation on contemporary medical dying to make sense of Angela Palmer's The Ashmolean Mummy Boy 3, lying on his back. I would first like our group to begin looking at our object from the smallest sides of its glass rectangular case. This is Angela's representation of this mummy, adjacent to this glass case behind you. In 2008, Palmer put this mummy boy through a CT scanner at the John Radcliffe Hospital here in Oxford. Using the over 2,000 images produced, she traced the contours of the child's body on 111 glass slides with a pen and lined the pieces up in succession to produce what looks almost like a 3D representation of the child, seemingly floating in air. If you bend down to look in the glass box, the slides make the boy's body appear in front of us. Now I would like the group to move to the longer sides of this rectangular box and look straight through. What do you notice? Yes, the boy's image has disappeared. From this long side view, Palmer's drawn lines are undetectable, and even the glass slides are difficult to see. In this piece, Palmer has revealed the boy to us and, at the same time, has disappeared him. In this gallery talk, and through reflection of Angela Palmer's representation of the mummy boy, I would like to consider why the modern West believes its medical gaze, and in this case, the vision of the CT scan, uncovers truth and knowledge about death. In doing so, this talk will explore how our contemporary attempts to make sense of death privilege a scientific over a humanistic view, an individual over social perspective, and the seen over the unseen. However, by using the CT scan to both make the boy appear and disappear, this talk will also explore how Angela Palmer reveals to us how CT vision both eliminates new hidden knowledge about the mummy boy and invisibilizes other important information about the mummy boy too. In 2000, Angela Palmer was an artist in search of a new project. She was rummaging around for fresh ideas when a friend happened to send her an article about Egyptians CT scanning their mummies. Inspired by the idea, and in what she called a mad moment, she spontaneously called the Ashmolean to see if she could scan Tutankhamun's head for her drawings. And while the Ashmolean's Dr. Helen Whitehouse told Angela that Tutankhamun was not available, she did mention that there was a mummy boy they had in their collection that they did not know much about. Angela jumped at the offer to explore the life of this little mummy boy. And with the mummy boy secured, Angela then called the John Radcliffe Hospital, a mere 10 minutes away from the Ashmolean, 
to see if they might be willing to let her use their CT scanner to take pictures of the mummy boy. The JR agreed. The stage was thus set for Angela's project. It was not until the boy mummy moved along in the CT scanner, with images of every inch of his body, from his toes to his cranium, emerging on illuminated x-ray screens in front of her, that Angela felt what she described as a rather profound closeness to the little boy. In many of Angela's interviews about the project, she describes the mummy boy before his CT scans as a nameless enigma. She notes that even the Egyptologists at the Ashmolean were unsure if there was anything inside the bandaging of the mummy at all. But when they first got the glimpse of his little toes from the CT images, Angela recalled that the scanned images allowed the team to really and finally see what the child looks like. The mummy boy had been a puzzle since his excavation. He was discovered in 1888 by one of the forefathers of archaeology, W.M.F. Petri, in the funerary pyramid and temple of Pharaoh Amenemet III, at a site now known as Hawara. Petri was initially attracted to Hawara for the understudied pyramid, but quickly shifted his interest when he stumbled upon something surprising. He wrote in his journal, I find what I did not expect, a great cemetery here, covering perhaps 100 acres. His mission then became excavation of the burial site. Many of the mummies and mummy children Petri found at the site had detailed portraits of themselves on their coffins and tombs, revealing what these mummies behind the bandages looked like alive. Several of these mummies also had objects lying in and near their graves that indicated what their status was and to whom they were related. However, our mummy boy here did not have a portrait of himself on his coffin, nor was he found near any material that might give clues about his identity. At the time of his finding, about the individual boy, little was known. The CT scan's revelation of the unadorned, nameless child did provide a kind of relief. The images uncovered all sorts of clues about the mummy boy's individual story. The medical report identified the boy's bone growth as similar to that of an 18-month-old child. It also showed that the boy's uneven legs and twisted hips were indications of hip dysplasia, which they presume would have made him walk with a limp. An orthodontist identified that he was missing his top two incisors, an unusual condition. And lastly, the boy's inflamed lung led radiologists to believe that he died of global pneumonia. It was all of this specific information and the detailed contour of the child the CT scan produced that turned the mummy boy from an abstract object and into a specific child with a particular life history. It was this detailed information that made Angela feel a strong intimacy with the child. Finally, it seemed, the boy's identity was no longer an enigma, but was announcing itself like it had never done before. When I began researching Angela's art piece, I realized that it is now common practice globally to CT scan mummies. These images have fascinated their viewers and provided them with knowledge that has been experienced as both deeply satisfying and revealing. Indeed, in many of the news reports I've read on CT scanned mummies, many of the reactions to these images mirror Angela's response quite closely. Curators and their audiences intimate that these CT scans enable a full, unvarnished, and unobstructed view. They intimate that the CT scan, with its radically new vision, is able to lay bare the mummy's long-hidden truth like no other investigative approach has been able to before. It is not surprising that Palmer and others found the CT-scanned vision of the mummy boy its most edifying uncovering to date. 
The CT scanner's ability to expose the bandaged mummy boy reflects a long-held sense that sight, especially medical sight, reveals the objective, full, uninhibited truth. Anthropologists like House and Klassen have long understood that sight has a high cultural value in the West and is often, quote, exalted as a noble sense associated with both spiritual and intellectual enlightenment, end quote. Phrases like the period eye, seeing is believing, and with your own eyes are all indications of how the West links sight with the production of truth, knowledge, and reality. Nowhere is sight's connection with knowledge more emphasized than in contemporary Western medical tradition. Michel Foucault, 20th century philosopher, through his history of medicine in his book titled The Birth of a Clinic, describes how sight became critical to modern medical practice. Before the 18th century, medical practitioners in the past relied on, quote, lower senses to discern illness, like touching the patient, using smell to detect potential disease, and listening to patients' narratives about their symptoms. But at the turn of the 18th century and the establishment of the clinic, doctors found that these sensorial indicators were too unreliable and subjective. Doctors then began to look more deeply into the body to find more objective indicators and the root cause of the disease. They did this by cutting cadavers open. Through these internal examinations, which have only become more penetrating over the years through technological advances, doctors developed what they believe is an objective science of our inner workings. Because of these internal examinations, doctors began to focus less on the external cues of the patient and their experience with their disease, and more on the disease itself inside the body. Doctors began to associate depth and inwardness as truth. And it is here that sight became physicians' ultimate diagnostic tool. This medical gaze, as Foucault called it, that, quote, penetrated surface illusions, enabled a near mystical discovery of hidden truth, end quote. The medical gaze suggested that it was what was inside the person, not outside, where true knowledge lay. Under this optic, the human body became the sum of the person. It is no wonder then that when the penetrative sight of the CT scanner caught its first images of the mummy boy, that Palmer and her colleagues felt like they were seeing the real, revealed, intimate side of the mummy boy for the first time. Indeed, the CT scanner is somewhat of kind of the ultimate realization of the medical gaze. The CT scan, penetrating surface illusions and illuminating what lies inside, satisfies not only the West's belief that penetrative sight reveals hidden objective knowledge, but more particularly extends the modern belief that science can see more clearly than any other perspective has been able to before. Indeed, looking at Palmer's piece from the short side of its rectangular box, we can see the detailed contour of the boy in exacting detail. From this vantage, Palmer shows that the CT scan does indeed have a fresh illuminating perspective of the bummy boy to contribute. Yet while Palmer suggests that the CT scan does appear the boy newly to us, she also suggests that the CT scan disappears cru crucial information about the boy too. Indeed, for quite some time, social science and humanity scholars have written against the popular notion that the medical gaze clarifies death more than any other perspective. Instead of viewing medical science as the conduit to truth, these scholars suggest that medical science's perspective is only one truth amongst many others. Moreover, they contend, the medical gaze, while perceived as being objective fact, is actually partial and interested in what it sees. 
The CT scan version of the mummy boy, then, is not the most authentic factual representation of him. It is but one vantage of the boy amongst many, and equally as partial as the rest. In their critique of the authority of the medical gaze, scholars have highlighted several problems that emerge when the medical gaze is prioritized in questions about death. Of these multifold critiques, I would like to explore two here as it relates to our mummy boy. First, scholars note that the medical gaze assumes that knowledge of death lies within the body and, in so doing, biologizes the dead and decontextualizes it from its context. Second, scholars suggest that the medical gaze relies solely on sight as a mode of knowing and fails to see how other senses, like smell, touch, and hearing, can be used to make sense of death, too. By creating an art piece that both appears and disappears the boy, Palmer helps us reflect on the limitations of the medical gaze, and the CT scan in particular, to reveal the child fully. While the discourse suggests that the CT scan's unwrapping of the mummy boy allows us to uncover the boy in an unprecedented fashion, Egyptologists have, for quite some time, suggested that it is precisely the wrapping that allows us to make sense of the mummy at all. Contrary to the medical West sense that the truth of a person lies underneath surface illusions, Egyptologists and archaeologists tell us that it is where the mummy was buried, what was buried with the mummy, and how the mummy was buried, that all shed light on the mummy's identity. As an isolated, decontextualized individual, not much about the mummy is known, but when the mummy is placed back in its context, the mummy boy is not so much of an enigma as the discourse suggests. Scholars were able to discern several clues about his identity through external indications. For example, Egyptologists have argued that the stylization of the boy's wraps and bandages, for example, their crisscrossing form and their gilded plaster studs, are similar to other mummies around the period AD 80 to 120. Scholars have also used the boy's context in the pyramid to discern his status. Since he was found quite close to the pharaoh's burial spot and also surrounded by several other graves, They've drawn conclusions that the boy was most likely part of a noble family, and probably part of a multiple burial and family group. And scholars contextualized him in broader population figures. The mummy boy belongs to the 20% of children who died in infancy during that time, and to the 60% of children who died before reaching reproductive maturity. While the medical gaze suggests that the truth of the mummy lay underneath his bandages and within the boy's body, it is clear that what lay outside the mummy, his bandages, his burial spot, and his social context, were just as important insights in the process of constructing the boy's identity. Palmer's piece helps us recognize the limits of focusing solely on the mummy as a biological individual, and reveals the importance of understanding mummies, and death more generally, according to time, place, and circumstance. Palmer herself knew that while the CT scan shed some light on the boy, these images could only construct our partial picture of who that boy was. It was this insight that led Palmer to believe that to truly know the boy, she needed to travel to Cairo, Egypt, where the boy was found all those years ago. With maps drawn of the burial site by Petri and with guidance from the Ashmolean's White House, Palmer, while in Cairo, walked around Hawara, taking pictures of the place and recording audio of young boys near the age of the mummy boy, running and laughing and playing. She stayed a while, ate local food, and smelled the dry, dusty air. She imagined the mummy boy engaging with these other children, eating the same food she had eaten, and walking on the dirt roads. By being in the place he grew up, 
She said she could finally imagine what it might have been like for him to be alive. So powerful were these contextual sensations and their ability to illuminate the boy to her, she wanted to bring parts of the context back with her to England, where she was working on the project. So she filled up a bottle with Egyptian sand in order to place it next to her workspace as a reminder of the various senses she engaged while there. Medical sight had given Palmer some insight about the mummy boy's death, but her touch, her hearing, and her tastes filled in the gaps about his death the CT scans left open. Being in Hawara told a richer and more complex tale of the boy's possible story and helped bring the boy to life. To conclude, though the CT scanner reveals some interesting insights about the mummy boy, its tendency to individualize the boy, to see past his context, and to privilege sight against all other senses as a mode of knowing, invisibilized other important facts about the boy too. Though Palmer's piece relishes in the discoveries the CT scan made about the child, it also reminds us that there is nothing more infinitely true or edifying or groundbreaking about the knowledge from the CT scan than what Egyptologists, archaeologists, artists, and theologists have been able to tell us about the mummy boy for decades. Unwrapping the mummy boy does not disclose the boy's truth completely. Indeed, Palmer helps us see that it is precisely the mummy boy's bandages, and his larger context too, that allow us to see a more robust picture of who he might have been. Palmer's play in this piece with presence and absence, science and religion, and the internal and external, help us to realize the limitations of science to disclose the truth about death. Further, Palmer's piece helps us meditate on a rather puzzling conundrum. Though new knowledge helps us get closer to death, death continues to elude our conceptual grasp. further reading about this podcast and all of the podcasts in this series, please see the attached bibliographies in the show notes. Music for the show was by David Hillowitz, Moment of Truth piano version, provided by freemusicarchive.org. This podcast was presented, edited and produced by me, Christy Calloway-Gale. And me, Johnny Lawrence. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.